0: Head to thenextreel.com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
1: 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. Is that different than the Allspark?
0: No, <laughs> it's not the Allspark. God, I'm <sighs> amateur.
1: Shia <laughs> LaBeouf. Speaking of Shia LaBeouf.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, right. He has a, a beefy my new, new role. Favorite, my
1: new favorite musical. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he is bearded and angry.
1: He, it's, wow. it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, Citizen Kane sort of moment that he has there. It was great.
0: So, do you, <laughs> ta- tell the people about it.
1: I don't even know what to say about it, other than it's the strangest music video I've seen. Like, it's a music, it's a performance. What, what is the guy's name? I don't have it in front of me. Who uh, came up with this song? Uh, all about Shia LaBeouf. He's after you.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, yes.
1: Uh... And, you know, he's he's going to eat you. He's Here he comes. He's Rob Cantor. Rob, Rob Cantor, Cantor. Right. yeah. Uh, Shia LaBeouf Live. And it's this amazing video that uh, it, it just, it features just about everything in it, doesn't it? It's yeah. got the, uh, uh, it's got a children's choir. It's got uh, the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. Yeah, the West LA Children's Choir and the Argus Choir. Quartet. Plus, it has dancers and
0: with with uh, like vector uh, mask masks of Shia LaBeouf on their heads, giant giant Shia heads on their heads. Uh, You just have to watch to the end. That's the that's the trick because you know I thought it was entertaining on the first watch, right? Until Mm. I got to the end and I found myself really laughing out loud. Like it was this absurd kind of howling guttural howling that emerged from me. I thought it was really funny, and i don't i'm sh- I'm sure there are people who will find it ridiculous, but for me it was it was quite touching.
1: Yes, that's my <laughs> new favorite thing.
0: It is a good thing, so we should put it you're saying we should put a link.
1: We should definitely put a link up on our Facebook page
0: okay i'll uh
1: Facebook blog all over. We should have it everywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> needs to be in more places.
1: Yes, every place.
0: <laughs> you want to tell the people where we're from?
1: Yeah, where are we from?
0: Hey, everybody! It's the next reel. Thank you so much for hanging out with us as we spoil yet another perfectly fine film for you uh tonight it's listener's choice such a treat oh yeah uh and so we're gonna dig into that in just a minute but before we do you need to head over to the nextreel.com. you need to uh watch the shia labeouf video that's there (laughs) the next reel is where you can find out about all the great episodes that we've done and uh and uh, the film board Uh, we've got film board coming up this month
1: it's a big
0: one
1: I'm hungry for it.
0: Oh, I see what you did. That was oh, good. Did you that see was that? really
1: uh, delicious. It, it was um, <laughs> quite delicious. Yes. So,
0: join us in all the uh, uh, all the uh, conversations on all the social platforms, and then we will uh, we will have dialogue. That's all I have to say about that. How do we do on the big Instagram hashtag? Guess the movie hashtag Andy versus the people. Standy versus the people hashtag Pony Prize Challenge this week.
1: Well, I will say, considering we, <laughs> considering we threatened to release the kraken, I, I think it was just it was a little underdeveloped of a kraken. Like it, it, it hadn't been the, that the long young, out of uh, out of its egg. The young kraken. <laughs> it, was, it was just a wee kraken. A
0: wee yes. kraken.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. The, the second kraken. image. <laughs> the second image in uh, soda Prop rocker. Pulled it out of his hat again. I tell you, I know, I know. He uh, pulled it out of his hat with the uh, the little space helmet image and nailed it. Yes, it was from It Came From Outer Space, the fantastic B movie sci fi thriller from 1953 based on Ray Bradbury's short story, The Meteor. Fun little film that was, uh, you know, I thought that would be one that would really stump people, but. uh, and so did uh, Steven, but uh, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> so did Prop Rocker Proved that our Kraken was a little too wee.
0: <laughs> All right, this week, here's what I want you to do. Okay. I want you to get your get your uh, phone, and I want you to open up a photo app that has lots of really funky filters, and I just want you to take pictures <laughs> of, like, things around your house. And just right. to, I want you to go in, I want you to crop them at, you know... I don't know one eight five to one, you know something cinematic, (laughs) and I want you to post them and just see what comes up. What could that? Where where is that pillow from? Lava lamp be from? Is that a is that a litter box? (laughs) (laughs) That's what that's that's a that is that's going to be, and if (laughs) you know, soda pop rocker is going (laughs) to guess. Post your address. That's right. Uh, right. You can't win. Hey, uh, uh, all right, well. I guess that's all there is to say about that.
1: That's all I have to say about that. Let's do trailers.
0: <laughs> I'm going to go first because of cars. Haha. <laughs> uh-huh you know this is uh, i i really this is much more of a curiosity to me uh than than it is i you know i i told you we, we i feel like you people have walked along with me as i did my own little binge of the fast and furious uh, franchise several years oh, yeah. back mm-hmm. if you if you recall and uh there has been such uh, tragedy uh around this next film in the series uh, furious 7 uh, and, that uh, and and such crazy I, I it's not even controversy it's just such crazy uh hoops flaming hoops that they jumped through to try and get this movie made uh because of you know the the untimely death of uh you know its principal star Paul Walker um died before he finished uh shooting the the uh shooting the film and so the trailer came out and you know, it's one of those things, right? Just when you think you've just seriously run out of things to do with cars, oh yeah, uh, they start throwing them out of airplanes. It looks like a very uh, enthusiastic uh, film based on the trailer. I'm, I'm genuinely interested and curious about this film. I like the these high energy popcorn flicks, and uh, I, I hope, I deeply hope, given Walker's, uh, you know, presence in the the whole series. I I really hope that this one is a hit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I hope that it's. I hope it's a hit. I'm
1: James Wan. He's smart. I mean, you know, he's he's lived in the horror genre long enough, uh, but uh, he's also done new things in it that I think have. uh, are interesting have surprised people, and yeah, and had been uh, quite interesting. I mean, he did do Death Sentence, which I think is a little more along the thriller yeah, lines, yeah, like like leading into this a little bit more, yeah. But um, I think he's perfectly fine handling it. I think he'll do fine with it. And uh, I am curious. I mean, honestly, I'm way behind. <laughs> I think I've made it through the first two movies, so mm. I've got uh, you know. Four more to catch up with before I uh, sit down and watch this one. But I do want to because of everything that did happen. I'm very curious about it. And you're right. High octane. It looks like a lot of fun.
0: Kurt Russell.
1: Yeah. That's a nice little <laughs> surprise.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm, I am I am definitely looking forward to it. It uh, it hits officially April 3rd, 2015. Uh, and I uh, wonder if it'll be in Atmos.
1: <laughs> you know, I bet it will.
0: I do really like the poster, the teaser poster. Vengeance Hits Home, where they've got the... It's just a close-up. The camera's on the ground. It's a close-up of the car, uh, wheels of the car. Uh, and they have the, the cast essentially standing, you know, 100 yards off in the dust. Right. It's kind of a nice haunting image. I really like that. It's Taste- not, Tasteful.
1: It's not currently listed for Atmos. Sorry to say.
0: <sighs> well... Sucked the air right out of that one, didn't you, Andy? I did.
1: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, man. Uh, okay, what's yours? Mine is, uh, you know, I really liked District 9. And I, I enjoyed the script for Elysium, but then I never saw it because everyone said it was so bad. So I just kind of kind of passed, let that one pass by. But uh, Chappie, uh, Neil Blomkamp's uh, new film, is coming out uh, in uh, March 2015, and it looks like uh, another interesting kind of glimpse into this kind of uh, you know futuristic world that he kind of keeps going to. In this particular case, it's this uh, this robot that uh, an inventor makes, but it's the first robot that uh, has the ability to think and feel for itself and uh dev patel is the guy who uh created it and it really is kind of this child as it's kind of growing and and uh coming into uh you know all these different situations and it's learning some good habits some bad habits and all that but then it's also learning that there are people who will look at it strangely uh there are people who will uh you know be kind to it and all that. And it, it's, it looks like an interesting allegory and Blomkamp keeps going to these interesting allegorical types of films. And I don't know, there's something really interesting about the vibe of this one that reminds me more of district nine. And I'm hoping it kind of has that vibe because I mean, I really did enjoy that film and I, I want this to be that I, and I hope it will. So, uh, and, and Hugh Jackman's in it, although not, not nearly a lot, uh, There's just not a lot of him in it. And Sigourney Weaver is in it, although I don't recall her much. Charlotte Copley, of course, is chappy. Again, another fantastic little CG robot that they've created for this. Or I don't know how much of his CG or if it's a... uh, I I really don't know if it's an actual little animatronic thing that they are working with or what. But it looks pretty cool. And uh, I'm excited. I I, I don't want it to suck. So I'm, I'm excited. It's like a hesitant excitement that I have.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I it looks very clever. I did see Elysium and uh I I didn't think it was as bad as many 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 people seem to think it was. Mhm. Um it, it had some it it had the typical sort of uh, I don't know, grandiose kind of we're going to try and do really big things and and accidentally get trapped into some weird plot holes and um you know, Matt Damon is you know, he thugged up for this movie, and uh I, I'm not sure he he really delivered. Um,
1: so well, and I hear Jodie Foster was, uh you know, playing that yeah kind of annoying Jodie Foster that we don't like. Yeah, someone.
0: exactly. Boy, it, was she ever. She was really just hand-to-glove in her uh Inside Man Jodie Foster. Right, right, right. And uh, so that didn't play well. So there, you know, it, it had some problems. But as an as a as, a, as an effect statement, I thought it was really good. And I think that's one of the things that that, you know, Neil Blomkamp has brings together people who are really good at making uh, big effects look like small effects. You yeah. know, yeah. and and there is an intimacy and a real sort of uh, uh, person uh, like personality to Chappie, at least what we see in the in the stills, the promotional stills, and in the trailer. That I think it makes it look, you know, really approachable, and and I, I really like it. Um, so,
1: well, it has an ET sort of vibe. That's you know, it's it's that sense of that childish wonder. I think that really draws me in with this character.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So yeah um anyhow i uh look forward to it. when does it hit did you say
1: that's it march oh, march said, 2015 yeah. yeah
0: all right this is our uh listener's choice film uh andrew did you know we did this
1: i i'm excited
0: i am too uh do you want to give the give the good people a recap of to as to how we got to this place and our winner
1: yeah we, uh, everybody who was uh, leaving us comments on Facebook, on iTunes, uh, Twitter, wherever people can leave comments for us that, uh, you know, we uh, knew about. Hopefully there's not some strange little bathroom wall that people are writing about the next reel. Uh, we may have missed those ones, but everywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> took me a second, but really, yeah, really so nice. I, I nice visual. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, it's one of those nights
0: for a good podcast. <laughs>
1: uh, you know, so so we took all the names of people who threw those uh, comments our way, all the great names, all those wonderful names, into a a super magical uh, computer, and uh, and turned the crank, and out popped one name, and that was our dear listener Jeremy Wicket.
0: Jeremy Wicket of Dallas,
1: and he got to pick the movie. And he chose Defending Your Life. He
0: did Defending Your Life. Uh, Defending Your Life is a 1991 Albert Brooks written and directed film. And uh, Jeremy Wickett, the good and kindly Jeremy Wickett, uh, joined us on a Skype call to tell us why he thinks that this is a film that we need to talk about.
2: Here you go. Uh, Well, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, It has been since I first saw it when it premiered on HBO. And I don't really think it's hit the cult status that I kind of thought it would. Um, And I I don't even know if it's ever had a podcast dedicated to it. And um, as much of anything, just to get the word out there about, uh, I think, one of my favorite movies that's just incredibly funny and sweet and uh, I think really has a lot to say about uh, not being afraid of the world, which is, I think, always important. For me, it's as, as someone who kind of grew up, you know, knowing that he was, you know, growing around a culture that believed in one thing and realizing that, you know, for without going into it, that, you know, I didn't believe in the same things. And I'm agnostic in the sense of just, I don't know what's going on. And I, I don't think we do. And I, I love the idea that it's the, what Judgment City and what this afterlife is about is not about, doing something to get there. It's just about being well, you know, at each stage of your, I guess you would say, your progression through the universe. It's about uh, being good to yourself, being good to other people. Um, it's not about trying to how to get into the afterlife. It's not about, you know, how to get in, how to get good seats. It's just about, um, you know, finding a way to kind of live harmoniously and, and being good to people. And I, I, I really do. Uh, tied into that from the first time I saw the film, and if there is an afterlife, I really hope it's something like Judgment City.
1: You know, I don't think I've seen this since it came out. I know my buddy and I rented it on uh, on good old VHS uh, back in the day, and uh, I mean, I mean, I remember enjoying it. But yeah, I haven't seen it since. I'm actually I'm quite looking forward to actually revisiting this film and. And checking it out again because it has been a long time. It's
2: full of so many amazing performances. I mean, there's Albert Brooks, of course, himself, who I think just he carries the film, and he he finds a way not only just as as a just as a performer, and of course, you know, the way that he uh, writes and and films himself, that you're you're very sympathetic to him. You're very um sometimes not entirely sympathetic to him um the the reaction shots alone in the movie are, are some of the best i've seen in any movie just uh every time that he basically gets his own uh for lack of a better term poop thrown back in his face um i think meryl streep is just so amazingly uh, she's perfection in the movie i mean that's kind of what she's supposed to be in the movie, is this this, this a uh, person who is almost perfect in real life and, and she carries that so wonderfully at the same time it's it's so easy to believe that those two characters in the movie David and Julia could actually uh fall in love with each other uh Rip Torn is somehow so amazingly supportive a little patronizing uh just full of piss and vinegar i think it's definitely where i found rip torn for the first time and and uh, love his work and uh, Buck Henry is really funny in it. Uh, there's just so many great people in it.
1: Yeah, what's I mean, looking at Albert Brooks, I mean, uh, he's one of those guys that uh, I mean, he's he's such a quirky actor. I find there's something about his personality that is um, I don't know there it's, it's it's just kind of a, a a very defined type of comedy. Kind of like you know, Woody Allen has his own brand, and Albert Brooks has his own brand. What's your take on Albert Brooks in general?
2: Well, you know, unfortunately, I still need to see a lot of his early films. Um, I grew up with The Simpsons, of course, which is where I really got into him. And and uh, Hank Scorpio from The Simpsons is still a personal role model. <laughs> um, um, that's that's how I want to run it. You know, a, as someone who manages people, that's, you know, how I try to manage people. Um uh, um, but no, I, I I I don't know. It's so much of it. I hate saying is is on from this movie for me. And I think um, you know I've I've seen some of his later films, and I I don't think they work quite as well. I think you know one of the things that even though defending your life is very sweet, there's just you know a hint of of an acerbic nature in it, and and definitely of the I, I think what kind of runs through his work is him being if not hard on himself hard on the character that he's playing in his own movies and I think this is kind of the one for me where he balances a way of saying that uh, yes Daniel the character in the movie made a lot of stupid decisions but he's relatable he's likable Um, you know he may or may not be a hero but he's someone that is you know just trying to do the best he can as I guess he says in the movie several times
1: we're glad we could have you on board
2: well we appreciate it
0: You know what, Andy? What? You remind me of my little poodle.
2: From the beginning of motion picture history, Hollywood has tried to show you what the afterlife is really like
0: good afternoon and welcome to judgment city
1: you have any idea what's going on hell well in a nutshell you're here to defend your life and i'm going to help you defend my life finally wow the first true story of what happens after you die where am i is this heaven no it isn't heaven is it hell actually there is no hell although i hear los angeles is getting pretty close tell you you carry yourself very stiffly leave me alone i'm dead that's life albert brooks you make
0: me think of my little
1: Mm cooter beryl streep
0: i think i might have been a heavyset man at one time
2: (laughs) rip torn lee grant buck henry in a new film by Albert Brooks. So
0: I'm on trial for being afraid.
1: Well, first of all, I don't like to call it a trial. Second of all, yes. If you see one movie before you die... I love you. I love you. This is damn exciting stuff. See, Defending Your Life. Most people love it. Some, it makes nauseous. (laughs) Don't worry about it.
0: Andy, uh, Defending Your Life, I, uh, um, well, I feel like I should just get it out. Bef- just, just lay wow. it all out there. Okay. All right. It wasn't as good as I remembered it.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: How about you? Did it, I mean, what'd you think?
1: Well, as you may recall, I hadn't seen this since probably 1991 or two, somewhere in there. It has been a really long time since yeah. I had seen it. And I enjoyed it it was um, it was nothing that was very engrossing for me but it was nothing that uh, that bothered me either I I felt it was just very light and enjoyable and uh, I had fun with it I mean I, I but I, I but it's not something that I would probably return to
0: yeah I you know I and I should I'll say that I did enjoy myself with this movie. I found myself chuckling at this movie. There are some there are some great bits. And, um, you know, I, what I remember of the last time I saw this movie is, or at least the memory that has grown on me, is that I was impacted by this film in some way, shape, or form, right? That I walked away ha- changing the way I thought about, um, you know, my approach to... Life, liberty, etc. Uh, and I didn't get that same sense this time, and that to me was a disappointment. It was like watching it again, you know, poisoned my memory of it, which was unfortunate. You know, that was it. it just sort of let the air out of the balloon, and and uh, but that doesn't necessarily diminish the fact that I think uh, you know Albert Brooks is a is a wonderfully talented uh, writer and director. This is a it, it's a light film um, that offers the the opportunity to look at at, um, uh, you know, this, what I I think in my research, you know, did you run across this? There's a a group of critics, I guess, who have defined these as carpe diem films. Right, right. And, and, uh, you know, it, it is, it's a carpe diem film, right? It's a dead poet society. It's a you know, it's a film that causes you to to embrace your fear and seize the day, and uh, um, you know, I think it does a good job at that at, at presenting that argument in a really light way. What I think about the humor, um, I, you know, this is this is what I like to call an arrested development film, right? I mean, this is where we get to see uh, Albert Brooks' character as this man who uh, who is who stunted. Right? He, he, he didn't quite grow up all the way. And uh, it, it makes a, a beautiful comparison to uh, watch him and Meryl Streep in the courtroom sequences as they are defending their lives and their you know, Im- ability to embrace fear and move through life or move through to the next life, whatever that is. Um, but the humor of this, of, of watching Albert Brooks, uh, is very serial right i mean there this is a film that is made for me by bits Right. There are little bits that come together, little pieces of his wit and the witticisms that he just sort of drops that work better, I think, for me in little doses. And I think as a as a whole film, it just I, I get a little bit fatigued. Um, and, and that's why, you know, the Arrested Development comparison actually works quite literally to me, because much of Jason Bateman's humor in the TV show Arrested Development reminds me so much of Albert Brooks and his delivery uh, and, and Arrested Development, the show. Gives me a, a little bit better pace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I, 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 and I agree with that. And, and you, I, honestly, I think that our conversation with Jeremy actually gave me more to think about going yeah. into this film. Uh, you know, just the idea of all of these incredibly smart beings uh, that all use, you know, fifty plus percent of their brains. And how they are really working in kind of the service industry, helping all of these uh, these little brains uh, try to try to figure out what they need, or try to basically uh, just make it in this middle ground, this you know judgment city where they all end up. And I did find that very interesting to think about. That it's it's almost like a, a way of service, you know, to give back and to help these these little brains. As they uh, figure out what to eat, or where to go, or which tram to get on, or you know the the bigger questions of uh, did my did I uh, live a life that was uh, without fear and and am I able to move on? So it was very interesting, kind of seeing uh, that aspect of the film, and also as Jeremy alluded to, thinking about what these uh, bigger brains do when they're not around the little brains. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, I thought that was a very funny line when, um, when diamond, when Dan's, uh, Albert Brooks's character's lawyer or, uh, whatever you're calling him, uh, doesn't show up for one day and he's got, uh, Buck Henry as a replacement. And then the next day he asks him, well, where were you? Oh, you wouldn't understand. No, tell me. I want to know. Oh, I was trapped near the inner level of fault. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I told you, it's like that is such an interesting. Uh, I, I the concept of that is just so strange. The inner circle of fault is it fault
0: or thought?
1: I, I thought he said fault.
0: I heard. I feel like I heard thought. Either one is is either crazy way, bananas. Yeah. But
1: either way, uh, it's it's yeah. a very strange place to be. And the idea that you know, that's somewhere where they they can potentially go in the afterlife. Um, or in this this, you know, other part of the universe where all these uh you know, incredibly smart beings are dwelling. I I, I don't know. I just felt it was a very interesting um fantastical uh, afterlife that Albert Brooks had created in this film
0: yeah I agree and I, I think they position him really interestingly you know and or he positions himself interestingly as the protagonist of this film when um, he starts at such a, a deficit and only until the very very end is he able to to uh, you know take that next step uh, they you know the language in the film when referring when to him at him it's always that you would understand you wouldn't like this you wouldn't find this appealing you wouldn't be able to get there from here those sorts of that that sort of language around him it just begins demeaning him so early even as they're trying to take good care of him as a sort of you know newborn in this in this world you know and and i think that's a really interesting uh, he he is such a great vessel for that kind of character he just makes you uh he he's uh he's just so charming and um uh, disarming uh in the way he plays that role that sort of you know helpless uh a helpless middle-aged man. Uh yes. he was really really good at that. Um he has a there there are some of these little little lines that I think I I find myself chuckling at repeatedly and and using more and more things like oh they love putting things in bags around here. <laughs> right. But it <laughs> What is that getting at, I wonder? Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh um uh, the uh in at the see I can't oh There's
1: <laughs> what he's having the chicken. I'm,
0: I'm at the uh, I'm at the Continental. Come on come over one day. We'll paint it. <laughs> I just love, I just love the way he he uh, positions himself uh, uh, against others. is just really, really downtrodden guy. He just nails that role. That is so much of a character play for him.
1: You know? Well, and and that's something Albert Brooks does all the time. Yeah, uh, in in not just this film, but even I, even
0: in films where he is not playing such a weakling.
1: Right. Right. Now I haven't seen his earlier films, um but i, I saw Mother and the Muse, but I mean it, it my understanding of it, he's always really kind of writing in a way it's a version of himself, yeah um that really uh, there's it, it's an interesting intelligence to his comedy writing that also has very uh, this kind of uh, this dry uh, self-deprecating humor. And he's, he's very good at that. And even if you go back and watch some of his, his early bits, I mean, yeah. he, uh, it's, it's very funny stuff. And he's somebody who is always looking to try to find ways to do something different with his comedy. And, and, you know, going back to, uh, comedy albums, you know, people, when they would release these comedy albums, he released a couple of them. And, uh, he, uh, his were, um, uh, the you had to actually buy it because what he did on it on his first comedy album that he released is he only recorded uh, as, as it came to the close the last act on his comedy album you had to you the listener had to play the other character in this thing and so there was a script included <laughs> with with the thing that when you bought it and you would read along opposite him and so if you didn't have if you just had a copy of it or something then you you would never know what to actually do and there's something so strangely brilliant about that that um, I think is just kind of genius, you know? It's this this weird way to, uh, to make people um, uh, just think outside the box when they come and listen to a comedy album.
0: Totally. That's really great. That's like one of those ideas that needs to come back around, you know? I know. This age of declining digital or declining sales, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's uh, he that was an idea before it's time.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: The you know, and, and while well, I think he is a character that pulls off this uh, you know, he pulls off this role the confused sort of um, you know, infant in this new world. And and we should say that I I think one of the real strengths of this film is is uh, the way the world is built for us. You know, we get into the film very, very quickly, and the car accident happens very, very quickly, and it just happens. And then he wakes up on a tram, not, or, or he wakes up in a in a wheelchair. But then he's immediately kind of put on a tram, and and um, and and we get to. Build we we are the world is built around us in the voices of these as you say these service folks and I think they do a a, a just an incredible job of setting the the stage for us and it's one of those it, it you know it harkens back to me to like Back to the Future Two, uh, you know when we're when we're first introduced to the future. Um and and all of the little trinkets and gizmos are just sort of placed for us. And here we get the food we get to see, you get to eat anything you want. You uh you know, you're you're tired, you're gonna sleep, but we have all the clothes. They're the most comfortable clothes you could ever wanna wanna wear. And <laughs> they um, happen to look like a bathrobe. They yeah. happen to look like a bathrobe. So so a lot of that works really, really well. And then we meet Meryl Streep. And I know that I come into this this discussion with a lot of Meryl Streep baggage, right? That, you know, she just takes on a certain kind of role for me. Um, and, but I, I find it really hard. Um, she, She's, I don't even know how to put it because I really like her, right? But I, I have a hard time separating the role of the character she's playing, this sort of frivolous, fun, adventurous, brave character from the, the you know, from Sophie's Choice, Meryl Streep. do you know what i'm saying
1: well and you know this was kind of a a, an opportunity for her to step out of that because i think up to this point she had really not been um taking those leaps and she had been doing stuff that was much more the hardcore sophie's choice and uh you know the french lieutenant's woman and kramer versus kramer and you know all those sorts of roles and it was uh, I think this is one of those things that kind of helped her, you know, start doing things that were a little bit, uh, you know, out of the norm, you know? I mean, right in, around the area, the same time she did she Devil, Postcards from the Edge, so I mean, it all yeah. happened kind of right in that same area, but then, you know, then Death Becomes Her came right after that, and then you know, it just, she just kind of really, then I think she was in a place where she was really able to branch out and do, uh, whether it was a kind of a, uh, kind of a action-y sort of thing like the river wild or go to the bridges of madison county it, it kind of opened it up for her so she could do a lot more
0: right i think that's true i i still find her uh, you know i'm just most at home with her uh in those earlier films and i've never quite adjusted to to her in some of those other films i mean she's out of africa you know she's um and death becomes her was such a terrible movie it was. It was so terrible. Like yes, it was. It, it just really, I mean, for me, that movie cements why she doesn't work in some of these roles, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it, it's just terrible. Um, so, anyhow, um, I, you know, th- in this film, as Meryl Streep as the young, flirtatious, uh, yet saving the, you know, saving the the family from the burning building, uh, I found that a little bit high jump, low ceiling for me. Well, and, and then you add that to the relationship between her and Albert Brooks, which I, you know, it also is awkward because their kissing is really weird. <laughs> Didn't you notice? Like, is that not something? It was very strange.
1: I actually did think that when they were kissing. It, I, just, you know, it we makes me look,
0: that. it makes me like think I, I want to like set up a camera and like I need to like get my wife here and practice kissing her because I don't want to look like that in front of other people.
1: I I put the whole thing on Albert Brooks. I did. I mean, I think Meryl Stre- Streep has kissed more people in her films than Albert Brooks has in his films. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna need to get a kiss meter <laughs> to compare the two.
0: We do. We need some sort of a T chart or a um, yes. yes, some, some, my some next, sort of my, my your next, next Spreadsheet. spreadsheet. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, anyhow, it was. It is a very. It's a, a very strange, uh, very strange relationship. And I guess this is why I don't buy it. That uh, it's. They they've set up her as this completely, um, you know, independent. Character and him, every time they're together, he just comes off like such a whelp. That, that his, the lesson that he learns in the dramatic arc of really facing your fear, of being able to embrace and face your fear, none of that for me comes out of the defense of his life, right? The courtroom observation. To me, right. he every day he goes in there and he does his thing and he comes out no different, right? There's no sense of progression until the very last moment. But the challenge with that is that his relationship with with Streep's character is supposed to build over the course of the film, right? I mean, that's the intention. So why is she hanging out with him? She's doing the fun thing, sucking up the pasta at dinner. She's laughing. She's having a great time. And he's just no fun at all. Why is she intrigued by that at all? There is nothing redeeming. And to me, no lessons being learned along the way that give us any shred of hope that he is going to transform at the end. And ultimately, um, that makes for me such a surprise when he finally realizes, wait a minute, I'm not getting on this stupid tram. I'm going to go. I want to go with her. Mm-hmm. Now I'm I'm saying that kind of harshly, maybe only by comparison, because I really did have a a, a fine time at this film. But I, when I start thinking about it, that's when it starts to to fail me.
1: Well, and you know, some of that for me also comes from just the nature of his trial, which for me I, I really like the concept that he came up with uh, this whole idea of fear, and you know, yes. I mean, it, it it does fit completely outside. Most religions, as far as I know, I mean, I'm not uh, anybody who's uh, studied all of the different faiths, but, you know, the idea of your life, you'll kind of keep reworking it. This whole idea of reincarnation, you'll keep reworking it time and time again until you learn to, to face your fears and kind of step up a little bit. I thought that was very interesting. Um, what I didn't find interesting was just the portrayal of his, uh, of his life, it, it ended up coming across... Well, one, I was pretty convinced by the time I watched everything, all the clips that they showed me of his life, that he really does need to go back.
0: Yes, (laughs) you know,
1: I was just like, this is not a guy who has is doing that good. He needs to get back in there. And Rip Torn, as great as he is, because I I have a great time watching him on screen as uh, as Diamond. Um, like the clips that he and and the the frustrating thing for me is it's written for comedy. And the clips that he chooses to show, when I watch them, I'm like, "Gosh, that doesn't." I mean, he's being very clever, car salesman. The way that he spins these things, like crawling out of the uh, the the you know the ski or the the snow resort where he is, where he crashes on his snowmobile and has to crawl three miles with a broken leg to uh, to get help. Um, I mean, he spins all these things in a way where, okay, yeah, I I, I can see why you're trying to spin that to be hey this is a guy who learns to face his fears uh, but i really kind of agreed with the prosecutor you yeah. know it's just like no it i mean he's it's a survival instinct he just Does't want to die yeah and and so that was my frustration is that they didn't come up with any good arguments where he I felt he really was facing his fears. All of the stuff that they presented were just these these cheesy things that I'm like, no, the prosecutor's really right. That's not exactly a good example of of, of facing your fears there.
0: right and I, I think that was a that was another challenge, right that that you know every example that they they brought up in in court was not a defense. It right. it was a case. And I I Lee Grant's portrayal of the of the prosecutor, I think was um was right on. She just clearly built a better case. And and yeah. I guess that's fair because, you know, they lost. They lost yeah, right. handily. And that, that but was that, but, probably but see, the point. That, but
1: well, but it was, but then it gets to that end where he you know, yeah. like as you were just saying, he decides, I want this woman, I'm not gonna be afraid anymore. And he escapes from the tram to go jump onto her tram so there's there's just not a good balance uh in what uh what they present and uh you know what how they're depicting it. I mean, it seems like it's very clear cut case for her it doesn't it's not like oh it's it's fifty nine or you know fifty one forty nine It's not something like that. It's not just oh, he just missed it. We'll let him go through. This is like he clearly should be staying on earth, but no, hey, he went after the girl let him go through. You know, to me, that, like, that was...
0: It's that they made a whole film about the fact that he has demonstrated time and time again that he has not embraced or has not been able to conquer his fear. He's not been able to... I mean, the, the job interview sequence... <laughs> is brilliant. The the premise was that he had practiced over and over and over with his uh, wife to uh, how he was going to say I can't take this job for anything less than $65,000. I can't take it for any five less anything less than 65 over and over and over again. And he goes in and the guy sits down with him and says, I'm prepared to offer you $49,000. He says, I'll take it. And I I love that bit, right? It's a great comic bit because it's so straight. And uh, uh, (laughs) the first thing out of the new boss's uh, uh, mouth is, I'm going to go get you a parking place. Like (laughs) You totally failed at this, so I'm going to try and give you something. Right, <laughs> you know, uh, but but it's all the the whole trial is made up of cases like this where he just wasn't able to, uh, from childhood through adulthood, and now we know for over twenty lives, I think they said he just was not able to make it, and yet the entire release of him to the the future hinges on one single event. Yeah, I I think she would still win a case. Uh, I like do that. too. Uh, you know that if As, it's in
1: there. Right, it, it it came across very kind of just that sappy sentimentalist uh, sort of screenwriting. And looking at Albert Brooks's uh, previous films, it, it you know, and looking at critics' reactions to this film, it seemed that they were surprised that he was so uh, had such a positive ending because his other films uh, were a little uh, I don't know if I'd say darker, but they definitely were a little more biting. Mm-hmm. And and this one it does just feel kind of the uh, the uh, romantic comedy ending is kind of how it feels like it's ending, and uh, it was a little I don't know I, I guess. It, it made it feel a little more light than maybe it should have been feeling.
0: Yeah, I think so, and that's it. maybe that's what the, you know, that's certainly what the film's intention was, and I I think that's, um, you know, when you take a step back, like, I, I just sit here and look at my notes, and there are so many, like I said, really wonderful sort of serial bits in this film that do make me chuckle, and and uh, I, I end up, you know, I like the intention of the film so much, and I like the world of the film so much that I, it allows you to, for allows me to forgive some of these things that in any other film I might just say, you know, it stinks. I, I I can't can't take it. You know, I, I love some of the frivolity of the film um, so much that that, that balances out uh, the things that I have trouble with, um, you know, structurally. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, in the end, his life really is indefensible, and he needs to take another run.
1: He really does. He really does.
0: Uh, how about Rip Torn?
1: Yeah, yeah, he's hilarious. I mean, I, I guess he's not hilarious, but it's just the way that he portrays the character, I think, works really well in context of the humor. And just he creates this uh, this fun uh, prosecutorial type that balances the just it's incredibly good nature that he has um, – with kind of just little jabs that he throws at Dan. Uh, you know, and the whole, like, you know, I still don't get the big brain bit, do you? <laughs> and you know, just, you know, just all those things about the, you know, giving him a taste of his uh, his food that tastes like uh, uh, horse manure and everything. <laughs> uh, there's something that is just always very fun about him. And, I, yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him in this. And he's just one of those actors that is – uh, he's just fun to watch, and he's got a great name, too. Oh, he sure does.
0: He, he's one of those actors where, you know, you, you sort of get a feeling, at least I do, that every movie I see him in, um, he's the same guy, and he's just been promoted into a different job, right? Like, from here, yeah. he went on to, uh, you know, somehow through uh, circumstance, happenstance, he ended up, uh, you know, running the, the uh, Men in Black outfit. Same guy, same guy. It was just a cross-promotion, different department. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) But he really is just delightful everywhere he goes. I I have a hard time kind of faulting him for anything. His bits are always the funniest. And we talked a little bit about uh, the prosecutor, Lena.
1: Yeah, I think... uh, Lee Grant. Yeah, Lee Grant, I think, does a great job in this role opposite him. Uh, She just... uh, uh, There's... uh, I mean, she she fits perfectly in that role of somebody who is prosecuting. I mean, she just does it; she does it great.
0: We haven't run into any other Lee Grant films, have we?
1: I, no, I don't think so. Um, you know,
0: There's a, that woman's got a ton of credits.
1: Yeah, so. and she uh, she won an Oscar for Shampoo. Yeah, um, I know we've talked about doing a, a, a series that would involve that, but it uh, yeah. hasn't happened yet. And I mean, you yeah, know, she's still somebody who. Uh, well, no she hasn't really done much since uh, 2005. Right. So uh but boy she was busy wasn't she? Truly.
0: Lots of TV work in her heyday of of television the 60s and 70s. That's Yeah. Uh, but anyway she's been very busy i really like the way she sets up that sort of uh you know the counter to Riptorn's uh straight man yeah or she is the straight man to Riptorn's uh uh comedy and i think she she does a fine job at it i love her the the her exchange uh with brooks in the courtroom hey you know tell you what uh let's get through this trial and if you're Still interested in knowing anything about me, I'll tell you everything you want to know. Right, right. Uh, just She is she plays a wonderfully um, no nonsense uh, sort of role in this film, and, and it, it works really well.
1: What does Rip Torn call her? The dragon?
0: The, yeah, I think so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. She's going to have a field
0: day with this one. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun uh, other little, uh, little roles in this. I love seeing James Eckhouse just briefly uh in in this film <laughs> as the owner of the jeep
1: yeah i don't know uh what where is he from
0: well he was in big that's where i thought you would pick him up but he was of course he was the dad in 902 beverly hills 90210 for years during my more uh i don't know my my weak uh television years <laughs> I watched, I watched myself a little 90210. I'm not a proud of it, but I watched it. But you did it. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you yeah, go. He's he's a, he's much more of a TV guy, but he was uh, he did do big, and I thought because of your Hanks, you know, that whole thing you have with Hanks.
1: I know, I know, but, you know, I don't recognize him. <laughs> I, I'll tell yeah. you who I did love seeing pop up in this was Shirley MacLaine. Yes, in the Past Life
0: Pavilion. That actually was a great set piece.
1: Uh, yeah, and just the idea of casting her as somebody yes. who has professed to believe in reincarnation and past lives and all that—it was just a, a brilliant little bit uh, of casting. I, I was a little confused by everybody's reactions. They all like had this kind of, you know, their jaws were all you know hanging down as they started yeah. Shirley MacLaine. Like, so do they? So they recognize Shirley MacLaine as Shirley MacLaine? But
0: but then what?
1: But Shirley MacLaine's still alive, so this is her past <laughs> life. So so that you know, it kind of got me confused. Like, why is everybody like, you know, like staring at her like that? But you know, I don't know. Yeah. One of those little things I didn't concern myself. with. That's
0: like, yeah, that was a nod and a wink that yeah. you kind of move on. Yeah. Um. The uh. I, the other just sort of set piece that I particularly liked was the sushi bit. Oh yes, that was her. Uh, you, you know, it it's. It's a little bit more slapstick. The uh, the screaming of the nine days and the <laughs> you know, it keeps coming back to nine days and and then they go and they get he gets nine pies from the other restaurant and right. over the Italian joint. It's just one one thing after another. But the nine days screaming thing is 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 one that uh that sticks with me. I find myself yelling at my kids in that voice too.
1: Oh, that's funny. That is very funny.
0: Brush your teeth nine times.
1: <laughs> I also found it very funny just story-wise, that he ends up uh, dying because he's uh, essentially, uh, you know, listening to his Barbara Streisand CD. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, Streisand but, but also does not him. know the words. <laughs> no, right. But boy, does he have moves with that song. Oh, yeah. That was very funny. Yeah. Very funny. I, yeah. Uh,
0: the, uh, go ahead, you were going to say something else. I was just
1: going to, you know, again, the just the dated element of this film. I actually really enjoyed seeing CDs coming in those great big long rectangular oh. boxes. I had forgotten that uh, that that's how they came in. It's just it was ridiculous. What were they thinking of packaging <laughs> like them like that? I know it was like some anti-theft thing, but I mean seriously, it's ridiculous.
0: Well, because they went from the cardboard to the plastic things. Remember those? Oh yeah. They kept the same shape, but they had like the lockable plastic things. And then the then the things that that you just had to like you had to mutilate yourself. You had to really want the music, right? Because you were going to break your hands or the CD one way or the other. Oh yes. Yeah, but those were the halcyon days, right? Yes, they were. Um, I, yeah, I was going to say there's a there's a bit that where he talks about his just pretty enough theory. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, you you know, that he's he's telling Meryl Streep that she's too pretty for him. Uh because you always want to have somebody who's just pretty enough. Not oh, too thought, pretty. I thought
1: he was saying his, his wife was too pretty for him.
0: Oh, right, right, right. You're right. Well, either way, that's not actually my point. My point is that, that that this film overall, my impression of this film overall is that it is just funny enough. And I found that kind of an ironic speech because everything you could say about the you know, his his wife that she was too pretty Uh, To me was, you know, it's really kind of the same thing about this film. It's just funny enough. It it keeps me really succeeds on that level. It keeps me chuckling all the way through at just kind of a low grade, uh, you know, mildly above dismissive.
1: Right, right level. Uh,
0: was there anything uh, novel about the the filmmaking that you found uh, worth talking about?
1: No, other than the fact that it it was uh, just it all felt very safe. You know, I, uh, the the score by Michael Gore was. Uh, I wrote a note here, jaunty but bland, um, and Ellen Davio's cinematography also just. I mean, you know, it it had a very kind of nice look to it. It worked well. Uh, You know, the production design wasn't overwhelming. It was a nice little world that he created of this uh, Judgment City, but nothing stood out.
0: Yeah, I you know I think to me what what does stand out is the production design over this. Era. Nothing else is really worth writing home about in terms of the production, other than the fact that they did a, a nice job building this world and making it you know feel uh, believable in the context of what it was. It was it was sweet, maybe a little saccharine. It was, um, but it was it was pleasant for me to be involved in and to fantasize about a little bit a little bit. I think it's hard probably to watch this movie and come away from it and not think, you know, that sure would be swell. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'd like to go someplace where I could spend a week and eat whatever I want and not worry about anything and right. Just see what happens. Yeah. So anyhow,
1: uh,
0: I, you know, how did it, uh, do our, do we want to move on to, uh, numbers? Do you well, have any other little bit? Just
1: the only last little bit that I, you know, I guess I didn't realize, but, uh, the first season of Saturday Night Live, um, Albert Brooks actually had. Um, it sounds like uh, Lorne Michaels had kind of offered him the uh, opportunity to be the permanent host for the show when they were first planning it, and, and Brooks declined it because he wanted. Uh, what he wanted to do instead was make these little short films that he could then submit that would be that would be played on the air yeah mm-hmm. as a part of Saturday Night Live, and so that's what he went on to do because what he really wanted to do was to have kind of that uh, as you know kind of a down and dirty filmmaking uh, directing practice and mm-hmm. and get started kind of doing that. And so I, I didn't realize that, but I actually watched some of his uh, his early bits on these little short things that he would uh, put up on Saturday Night Live. and I watched some some just other comedy sketches that he did. Some of his ventriloquist uh, bits that he does are just really, really stinking funny. And it's just so strange because looking at the the comedy that he was doing back then in the 70s, it's it it feels just much more uh, stand up comic than w- the comedy that he ended up developing, and so it's just an interesting evolution that he he uh, went through of of those early comedy bits to kind of creating this little more dry, acerbic sort of humor that he's developed in his films, and a lot more uh, self deprecating uh, films that feel a little bit more tied in kind of the real world. And um, I guess I guess that's really all I wanted to say is is his his style it's interesting to watch how his style developed but it's also historically i think interesting to look at his place in where uh kind of the history of saturday night live is
0: that is that is interesting a nice throwback i i don't have much of a memory uh you know even from you know watching archives of snl in those days like i i don't remember but it sounds very much like uh you know his early submissions to SNL are, it, it's one of those pieces that is still carried on today mm-hmm. yeah. uh, through like, you know, the digital sorts and uh, shorts and, right, right. and uh, Sandberg and uh, those are uh, such an interesting little piece of, of history. Um, you know, as I, as we just sort of think about the, this film, I, I, Again, I I like it, I don't love it, uh, but it really makes me uh, long to go see uh, or to pick up uh, broadcast news again, uh, which came out, obviously, um, before—this was the film he did immediately before Defending Your Life, and his role as Aaron Altman, uh, I I thought, was particularly touching, and I think the, uh, you know, the relationship that developed— or that he so desperately wanted to develop between him and Holly Hunter. And Holly Hunter is so much more his speed watching them on screen together. You know what I mean? Like, that's a relationship I can see. Yeah. yeah. I can really believe. And his, the, the, the sort of jealousy, is it, from his expertise, the jealousy uh, between him and William Hurt was just palpable. And I think he did such a wonderful, wonderful job in that film. Uh, and and it, it makes this one smart a little bit. Obviously, very different films, but um, but I think the the you know they happen in such close proximity to one another. It's hard for me to watch them uh, to yeah. watch one of them without mentioning the other.
1: Yeah, and I, mean, I think Broadcast News is is a. Uh, I, I mean, I think I'm right there with you. It's a very solid film, amazing writing, just incredibly strong characters. That's one that we should do a James L. Brooks series. One of these days. I was just gonna say that James yeah.
0: L. Brooks. That would be a really interesting thing to to dive into
1: yeah yeah that's definitely a good one worth talking about yeah,
0: truly uh, so uh, how did it do
1: uh, you know I I couldn't find anything as far as what the budget was on this film so I don't have all the numbers um, but it uh, you know for what it is I think it did uh, modestly well I mean they ended up domestically making sixteen point three million dollars almost sixteen point four. Uh, I can't imagine it cost more than that to make, so I would think that it probably ended up uh making its money back but again, that's just speculation um you know, and so you know I think on the whole uh it's something that you would say is a minor success
0: yeah it's a just as it's a it's a minor comedy, yeah, that's not maybe not completely fair anyway. <laughs> Uh, well, I think, uh, on that sort of anemic note, we should rank it.
1: Let's do it.
0: Head over to com slash reel and, uh, let's just see how this one stacks up. Uh, start ranking your movies. That's what you need to do, is you need to rank your movies, and then see if your movies line up with our movies, and, uh, you know, maybe our movies could go out on a date. Oh. Hope it's not, hope it's not, like, really awkward kissing.
1: <laughs> or in the afterlife. All right, here we go. Defending Your Life or Hot Fuzz?
0: Oh, that's a sad way to start. It's It's just a no contest. puts it
1: right up there, though, doesn't it? It really, really does. Yeah, Hot Fuzz for sure. Yeah, yeah. Defending Your Life or The Adventures of Baron Munchausen?
0: Oh, well, I'm going to do uh, Munchausen.
1: Yeah, I am too. Defending Your Life or The Hudsucker Proxy?
0: I think the Hudsucker Proxy.
1: I would do Defending Your Life.
0: Would you really? Because I'm, I'm sort of torn. Like yeah. I'm, I, I could be a little torn. I know I liked Hudsucker Proxy more than you, but I, there is a lot of charm in Defending Your Life. So
1: Yeah, I, I I think I could take the charm of Defending Your Life more than... Okay, Hudson. all right. All right. Uh, defending Your Life or Clute? Clute. I think, yeah, I would go to Clute. Defending Your Life or My Dinner with Andre? Boy, there's a, there's a heady one.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? I, I'm going to go Defending Your Life.
1: I uh, yeah, I think I will too. Uh, defending your life or Prometheus <laughs> Wow uh, I mean, despite uh, his story problems, I would watch Prometheus first.: Yeah,
0: I think Prometheus too. Uh,
1: all right, well, there you go. 134 out of 158.
0: All right. all right. That's a little bit of a bittersweet ranking for me. I you know, it's like i I, I feel bad about it, but I also feel right.
1: Yeah, you know, especially as a listener's choice, it's uh yeah. I I always want these to be high up, and you know, I mean, for the most part, we really, I mean, I think like most of the films on our list anyway, even oh, if yeah. it's not oh, uh, yeah. in the top uh, one hundred well, and fifty-seven.
0: Well, I I think what's interesting about this this film and our conversation about it is that it's it it's I really really wanted this film to be a slam dunk for me. I wanted to just I, I really wanted to be. Like I said, I wanted to be moved. Um and, and I was not moved, and that's that's fair, it happens, but um it, it just didn't age well and I I think it's still I'm so glad we talked about it. It definitely yeah, cleansed my palate a little bit and uh so
1: Well and and it does give it like I said, it gives a very interesting look at the afterlife that you hadn't uh, really seen portrayed before i really like the angle that he took of uh this world of judgment city and what you have to do once you die in order to kind of move on i think it was really an ingenious uh way that he developed to do th- to do this i just feel that uh, the story element of it could have been a little stronger in order to make uh, what he was trying to say with creating this afterlife a little more meaningful
0: yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, I, I really do. I, I, I think you've said it. You've said it well. Uh, where do we go from here?
1: Well, we are... Uh, that was our listener's choice uh, uh, little break in between series. And we're jumping into a... a, a I think it's going to be quite a fun rollick of some Coen brother comedy. <laughs>
0: This is one that we got a lot of comments on when we did the, uh, the, the drama of the Brothers Cohen, and uh, that we, we missed uh, some of the films that are held in such high esteem by fans of, of the Cohen Brothers. And so we are jumping into this. I'm excited about it. Are you excited?
1: I am quite excited because uh, I think their comedies end up... Uh, well, there's a lot of problems I have with some of their comedies, but the ones that work for me really work for me
0: they work really really well yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. well I can't wait to see what works and what doesn't work the first one we're doing
1: well, the first one we're going to do is uh, in Raising Arizona
0: oh hi uh-huh. speaking of Holly Hunter that makes me very excited
1: yes very excited uh, yeah because that was right before she did uh, broadcast news that so there's exactly. our little our little link between these two films <laughs> degrees
0: degrees <laughs> That's right. It starts. It starts tonight. Hey, uh, good talk, man. I got to go to bed. Uh,
1: I'm going to go turn on my Barbra Streisand.
0: Mine is—it's uh, serious, sort of, but it raises—it it actually has a, a numbered list. Oh, okay. This is uh, Cara Colliambro, right, from May 28, 2011, writes, What a letdown. 20 minutes into this, I was thinking it was brilliant, and why had I never heard of it before? What a perfect metaphor for talking about moral intentionality, Buddhist thinking, consequences, etc. But then the script petered out observations number 1 most likely explanation the original script was brilliant deep and full of unexpected insights into human nature but by the time it hit the screen by all the comp- compromises by the time all the compromises and sacrifices had been made it had become just another bit of hollywood pap 2 would have been much much better if brooks's character had never met a girl what an unnecessary distraction i find that a, an interesting point
1: i think it's a pretty smart point
0: Number three, viewer kept expecting some sort of explanation for the aliens, the food they ate as if there was going to suddenly turn as if it was going to suddenly turn sinister, but it never did, meaning the viewers were just distracted for nothing. You couldn't get those trials underway so swiftly. Everybody would have like a jillion questions before you could ever get the trial started. Number five. Oh, so the sole criteria of judging a life is whether you had the courage of your convictions? If so, Genghis Khan, Hitler, and Pol Pot must have advanced to the next level. No problem.
1: (laughs) Wow. Interesting point.
0: Right? Yeah. I thought those, there were a couple of points in there I thought were particularly interesting. Yes. So,
1: your turn. Okay. Now, okay, you ready for this one? This is a three star by Cindy Vasquez. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. This ties into yours very nicely. Oh, good. All right. Okay. Cindy Vasquez says, it was okay. (laughs) three stars
0: it's like she just summarized mine
1: i know right
0: she just she did she just she's a perfect editor
1: she really knows yeah she she she... (laughs) (laughs) oh man
0: i've been podcasting since 2006 in that time i've tried countless hosting platforms but in august 2022